The following presentation is from Mountain Park Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Silliness and costumes aside, this really is a time to say goodbye to 2408 uh, East Pecos Road and all that has happened here. And one of the reasons it's so difficult to do that is that there have been so many extraordinary life-changing moments that have happened here in this room, that have happened uh, with our kids, that have happened with students, that have happened in groups that have met here over the past 20 years, and the church has been around for 30 years. It's God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. And that's why it's hard, because it's just, just going to be hard to watch these walls get knocked down, etc. I don't know about you, but for me, every once in a while, I meet somebody who's beyond ordinary, because I'm ordinary. You and I, no, no offense, but you're ordinary. You, you, most of you are ordinary. Well, you and I are ordinary people, and, and we have skills, and I have skills, you have skills, and we use those skills, and God uses us in extraordinary ways. But every once in a while, you meet somebody who is extraordinary, who seems to have a different gear than the rest of us. And, and I have met two or three truly extraordinary people in my life, people I just can't even imagine keeping up with uh, intellectually, just in so many different ways. And one of those people is, um, is the founder of this church, that, uh, that there was a, a gentleman and his family and a group of people who teamed up 30 years ago, and they had a vision for a different kind of church in this new developing Ahwatukee area, Chandler area. They had a vision for something different. They started something where there was nothing. And so uh, one of those uh, extraordinary people that I've had the pleasure of meeting and knowing is Robin Wood, who is here with us this morning, right here. Robin, come on up. Come on up. Now, we, we have an itty-bitty problem this morning. We have a tiny problem, and that is that Robin's a preacher, and, and I'm a preacher. I mean, I don't refer to myself with that word very often, but, but we, we both like to speak, and we both, on a day like today, we could speak for two hours about the extraordinary things that God has done, et cetera, et cetera. So, I had to think of a way to um, uh, manage our time here this morning. And so, the reality is that Robin was the founding pastor, and he pastored here for 17 years. I had 17 years. And I have been the pastor here for 12 years. It's actually 11, but I rounded up. I rounded up to 12. Rounded up to 12. And so with the time that we have remaining, what I thought is we would just go one minute per year. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give Robin 17 minutes and give me 12 minutes, and that should take the rest of our time. And here's what we're gonna do. To manage your time and keep this reasonable, I'm gonna ask you to help us out with this. If you would set your, your, your phone or your watch for 17, I'm serious about this. Set your watch for 17 minutes or set your alarm for 17 minutes from now, then together 
we can all say to Robin that 17 minutes is up, and you can all say to me that 12 minutes are up. So go ahead, start your timer now for 17 minutes, and let's give a warm, awesome uh, welcome to the extraordinary Robin Wood. You need a timer up there. They put it on. Tell them to put it on. Okay, here we go. Well, I will never forget October 18th, 1987. We showed up at Pueblo Middle School. We had made 23,000 phone calls with a handful of people. The Turners are sitting here, the Fricks and, and uh, the Acres. Now Rusty's pastoring, but you know, we had... I shared with 90 people to show you my charisma. I shared with 90 people that we could start a church, and 12 people said yes. Come on, give it up for that, 12 people. Okay. Unbelievable. Well, then we made phone calls, 23,000, and then we sent out four brochures to 2,300-plus families that had said, give us some information. And at 10 o'clock, when the service was supposed to start, there were literally only about 28 people there, and they were all the phone callers. Come on, people. Enjoy. <laughs> And, and I, I was overwhelmed. No, no, I went out the back door, and I, remember I ran into Rex Williamson, and I want to honor Rex today because he's been so important to me, and he's out of town today. And, uh, and, I, and Rex said, just act like this is what you expected. Come on, people, this is what we expected. And I went out, really, I, I wasn't angry at God. I said, God, is this a joke or whatever? And I walked out the back double doors of Preble Mill School, and cars were lined up. I still remember it. It's so emotional. Lined up from there all the way down to Chandler Boulevard. And by about 10, 20 or so, we started that service with 305 people. Come on, give it up for God. He's awesome. And uh, listen, you know God. You know God is in charge when you can start a school from scratch and have 305 people at a school with the initials PMS. Come on, people. It's awesome. That's off the chart. So we PMS there for about three years. And then, and then listen, that first Sunday, 12 people came to Christ. We asked them to come to Christ. And every Sunday I'd say, is this your day? Is this your day? And I'll never forget, I walked down and I met Rick and Shelly Wilson. It's so emotional to me because she said, she said, Ron, we had to tell you. So I never met him. He was playing for the Milwaukee Brewer um, farm system. And, 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 and they showed up. They had, they'd been invited to church their whole young adult life and never gone. By uh, Doyle and Marie and their, 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 their in-laws. And they'd never gone. And, and here's her story. She said, you called me, Pastor, and I'd made over 5,000 of the 23,000 calls, so I couldn't even remember, except we did identify ourselves. But here's the story she told me. She looked me in the eye and she said, Pastor, I want you to hear this, because she had given her life to Christ. She said, the night you called, it was a Thursday night. She said, I'll never forget it. She said, Rick was painting the living room wall, and I shouted from the kitchen, Rick, what's wrong with us? My mother died Monday. We don't have a pastor, we don't have a church, we don't know God, we can't bury my mom. And she said, he was a normal husband, so he didn't turn around. Come on, you gotta go. <laughs> so she yelled again, Rick, what's wrong with us? We don't have a church, we don't have a pastor, we don't know God, we can't bury my mother. He still didn't respond. She said, in the next five seconds, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and here's your words, literally. And I, did, I started this way. My name is Robin Wood. I'm a new pastor in the area, starting a new church called Mountain Park. Could I ask you a couple questions? She said, I covered the receiver and said, Rick, it's God. Come on, people. Come on, give it up for God. It's awesome. Now, in the next few moments, I, I, I want you to know I want you to know the favorite picture in my office is on the 15th anniversary. Over 36, 37 Wilsons and friends took a picture at this church. They had all come to Christ. 
because of their influence. That one, one conversion, come on, give it up for God, it's awesome. What are the odds? And so, out of those experiences, I wrote a book called What Are the Odds? And I didn't know how great this church was, but I read my own book yesterday. I did, I read my whole book. This is an unbelievable church. And every time I hold my hands out today, I want you to shout, what are the odds? Could you do it for me? What are the odds? Because this story was one what are the odds story after the other. And they're all God's stories. They're all for his glory. They're not for us. But God has been so faithful to us. That first Christmas... I don't know where Jim and Diane Potter are today. I know the Turners know, I know you people know. But Diane Potter, this wonderful, simple woman, came to me and said, I want to do the angel tree ministry. I know you're overwhelmed. I know I can't ask you to do this. She goes, I'll put up a little tree. What it is, it's a Chuck Colson ministry. I didn't know anything about Chuck Colson ministry. We buy gifts for prisoners' kids. So we buy two gifts for each prisoner's kid. We do it in honor of the dad. And she said, I'll put the tree up. You don't even have to announce it. I'll rally the people. And she meant it. This was this awesome. Now, I want to honor one other man today. And I want you to clap. Gerald, Pastor Gerald Marvel. <laughs> Pastor Gerald. You guys don't know, but he taught me to preach without notes. He poured his life into me. And when I preached a camp meeting out on the West Coast, he came every night when I was pastoring here. On the way home, he told you guys, on the way home every night, he'd say, Rena, you know how he goes, Rena, Rena. The only problem with Robin, he lies about his church. Come on. (laughs) He goes, those stories can't be true. They don't give that well. They can't be that mission-minded. They can't do what they do. And you know, he was with you when he told you, Robin told the truth. You people are who you say you are. Come on, give it up. That's awesome. You people are. And I told every story. So here's the story. So Diane put those out there. And so we took, we took three angels, our family, and we went out to give gifts to three kids in Chandler. And we met the Figueroa family. But there weren't three kids and one mom. There were three moms and nine kids. And they had nothing. There were no window coverings. There was nothing on the floor. There were no beds. There was no electricity in the house. They showed us, they were embarrassed to invite us in, but there was the fridge on the back didn't work. Of course, they didn't have electricity. They had natural gas. They had one burner that worked. And this was the first Sunday I chose to not preach. I came back to the church. We did an interview in Spanish with them and we made a list of what they needed. If you remember in Pueblo Middle School there, I just read the list and I I shared one verse. 1 John 3, not John 3, 16, 1 John 3, 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother or sister in need and closes up his splainness, it says in the Greek, his gut, and has no compassion, how can the love of God be in him? I remember reading, reading those verses and we had tears and we were weeping over this family. And, and I didn't expect this to happen, but I read the long list of needs. And then I told about the two babies that needed to see a doctor. You remember this, Merle. And Merle stood and said, you get them there Monday morning. I'll see them. And he saw those kids for years. We had two babies that were sick all the way through 12 and 13 years old. And so after he said that, then Vince popped up over here to the right. Vince hadn't been in church for 20 or 30 years. And Vince says, I'm an electrician. I will go out today and rewire that house. The place came apart. People started standing up all over. Jan, who does my hair, she did it for 20 years. She, she stood up and she said, I'll do those young girls here. And she did it the rest of their teenage years. Look at me, people. And people started standing up saying what they would do. And a man stood up and said, I've got a refrigerator in my garage. It's brand new. I'll give it. 
and, and, and someone had a stove. And, and then finally down here, Robin, Mary Garland had come from Casper, Wyoming. And they never went to church, but they came just to help me out. And they brought their mother. Their mother had not been in church for years and years. She stood up. And she, I'll never forget this moment. She, she said, I don't have any of your gifts. I don't have any things to give away. And she held up a check. She goes, but I've got money. Come on. <laughs> and she wrote a large check. And she said, there's more where this came from. And Alan, I got to know her. I went back over and over. She, Let me tell you something. You don't know me. Don't tell me you got money. I'll come see you. And I'm telling you. We, you know, I couldn't even remember Robin Mary's. God is so good. I dreamed about this. I thought, These names came to my mind. I, I, I didn't forget them, but I, it's been so long. And I just said, God, you are an awesome God. Would someone shout, what are the odds? Come on, shout it. What are the odds? What are the odds? And here's what Gerald Marvel taught all of us. To honor him. When God does something great, God always uses a person. Did you hear that? When God does something great. If you don't believe, you can argue with me as much as you want until I get to Jesus. Come on. God did something great for you. He sent Jesus. When he does something great, he asks you to do it. This is what happened last week when hot church took place here and they had Allison. God has used Allison in such a powerful way. He's used my kids. Today, we have a teaching pastor at one of our largest Church of God congregations, Jessica Sellers. Come on, what are the odds? Give it up. Awesome. And my daughter is now one of the major worship leaders at that church. It's just an unbelievable story. I remember when my kids prayed to have 50 kids for that first Easter in 92 for Hot Church. And we had 73 kids. And 21 kids came to Christ. Somebody shout, what are the odds? And it grew. I was in there when Daniel Porter, we got in our new building, and Daniel said, he saw the code on the building that said seating capacity 393, and he shouted, let's break the code. Come on, people. I had to leave cold church here and go down to hot church every Sunday to get fired up. You remember the Easter? They broke over 900 in attendance. Come on, somebody shout, what are the odds? Because when God does something great, Allison, he always uses a person. I say, I say that to my daughters every day and to my son, who learn to be worship leaders at this church. And my two kids are involved in great churches and church plants, and Brady's a leader at Life Church in Oklahoma City. Let me tell you something. God has used you people. And it began, it began with that ministry of Angel Tree, where we took back the gifts. And then... And then we found out the Figueroa family needed five bikes. You remember? They needed five bikes. We were going to buy them because we felt so blessed. And Karen Gray, my neighbor, who was coming to church for the first time, she said, why don't you ask for five bikes? So I got up in one of the services, and I asked for five bikes the next Sunday. I said, look, if we don't get them, we'll buy the bikes. At the end of that service, Brian and Connie Harrison walked down the aisle. And their son, Eric, Eric was on my, I was coaching eight-year-old boys. They fired me because I yelled too much. It was awesome. <laughs> they did. They did. But he called me coach. And Brian and Connie hadn't given their life to Christ yet. And guess what they said? Eric wants to tell you something. Eric looked up at me and he said, Coach, my birthday was yesterday and I got a bike. And I want to give it. <laughs> Come on, people. He gave his bike. I told that story in the second service. That's why you should have two services. Something good might happen in the first one. No. So I told that story, and by 2 o'clock that afternoon, I had 153 bikes in my garage. Come on, somebody shout. What are the odds? What are the odds? What are the odds? 
And that began, it began with just this and began a Guadalupe ministry and then the bike ministry. That day when I left church, someone slipped me a card of a guy named Bill Merritt. He said, you're going to need to call Bill tonight. And I thought, who's Bill? They didn't even tell me. She goes, I think you're going to get more bikes than you think. I said, you think I'm going to get more than five? When I had 153 bikes, I went up. We wore suits in those days. It was amazing. I went in my suit pocket and took out, and I went to Bill Merritt's house. And I met this guy who was a retired colonel. And he was restoring bikes for kids. And he told me this. Listen to this story. Robin, I'd never met him. This is Sunday night after I get these bikes in my garage. Bill, what, tell me your story. Well, last year I was asked to get 50 bikes for a charity for 50 kids. But when I got there, there were 200 kids. And you won't believe what they did, Robin. They went, one, two, three, four, you get a bike. One, two, three, four, you get a bike. He said, I fell apart. And I didn't know how this year I'm going to get 200 bikes. I go, well, you got 100 and 48. I needed five. Come on, people, do quick math on that. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that began a bike ministry that were hundreds into a thousand or more bikes because one little boy, does it remind you of the fishes and loaves? One little boy God used to give what he had. Let me tell you something. I, I'm telling different stories every service, but you know, I can't forget that, you know, when, when this place was built, there were some extraordinary gifts. Maggie Bardusen gave all of her commissions for a year. She was one of the leading real estate salespeople, all for a year. Jerry Crawford, who had not given his life to Christ until near that year, he actually said to me, I came for three years to listen to you, but you didn't make any sense. Come on, that's awesome. <laughs> and then one Sunday, I shared a little story about Lord Liar a Lunatic from C.S. Lewis. And Jerry gave his life to Christ. I hugged Jerry in the first service. Jerry called me one day and said, did Zacchaeus really do what they said? You would have corrected him. It's not Zacchaeus, you know, but it is. I said, yeah, hey, Zacchaeus. I said, well, I think he did. Jesus told that story. So in about a month, we received the largest stock gift we'd ever received because it told in the story that Zacchaeus sold half of what he had, sold all of what he had and gave half of it to, to the ministry, to the apostles, laid it at their feet. And so that's what Jerry did. Isn't that amazing? Come on, give it up. God's awesome. God's awesome. The largest gift we'd ever received. And there were extraordinary gifts that you heard about last week with David and Melanie Swisher with their retirement. God used people. When God does something great, he always uses a person. Now let me tell you something. Over the last few years of my life, you know, I've repented to you all. and I'm, I'm still so sorry for some choices I made and I lost my way. And, and some of you prayed me back and, you, and you've loved me and forgiven me. And, and I thank you for that. But God's been, used me again. And, and in these days, now that I'm older, God's been giving me one phrase. <laughs> it's funny because I can't remember more than that. So. <laughs> so a year and three months ago, it was a horrible phone call from the, the porters. And, and we lost Daniel. And Cliff said, I need you. And I said, I'll come. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I was in California at the time. And I had called a good friend the day that Cliff was going to call me to tell me what he wanted me to do at the funeral. I called Daryl Powell. He's the, best, he's the best engineer in all the music business in the Midwest. Everybody knows that about Daryl, from the Christian field to the country field. And he's been my friend since I was 19 years old. And I called Daryl out of the blue. I knew Cliff was going to call me in about an hour from the funeral home. And I said, hey, Daryl, we haven't gotten together. I said, how are you doing these days? We promise to get together more. And then, by the way, God gives you an opposite of your personality when you're real wired. So Daryl doesn't even have a heartbeat. Come on, enjoy me. 
I said, Daryl, what are you doing these days? And with no energy on the phone, he said, Robin, you know me. I do what I do. <laughs> no, he's the best at what he does. And I got, I got chills through my body, Alan. I said, what did you say? It was like God was saying, this is important. He said, and then he added, you know how God uses me. I do what I do. I said, Daryl, I'm going to take that phrase all over the country because if people would just do what God asked them to do, that's what we did for 17 years. That's who we are. If we do what God asks us to do, then he would change the world. So I walked over to Julia, my wife, and I said, hey, Julia, I got the next great phrase. I'm going to take it all over the country. She goes, what is it? I go, I do what I do. And she said, not very inspiring. And I, I was kind, but I walked away. In the next five seconds, Cliff Porter, right over here, man, he called me. And you could hear crying in the back. It was horrible. It was a horrible day for them. I hate to even be telling this story. But Cliff said, I need you to come. And he only said these words. These are exact words. I just hung up the phone and just told Julia. He goes, Rob, I need you to come and do what only you do. I want you to come and ask people to come to Jesus. Go ahead and you can clap for that. You come and you ask people to come to Jesus. And I came here and I did that that day. And a number of people have stayed in touch with me. A number of people made decisions. I hear it, I hear it, I hear it. Right. And I told Alan, this is where we were the first service, so here I wrap it up with this. What you don't know is I left that day and I went back to Indiana and I caught a plane the next Wednesday for a guy that I led to Christ here at, at Mountain Park, Chris Gedney. And Chris was getting remarried. He'd gone through great brokenness and Alan's going to hit the ball of the park with brokenness. And I agreed to do his wedding, and I caught a plane. But I went to Indianapolis, simple trip to Tahoe, and you won't believe this. They canceled the flight to Vegas. Come on, what? Are they trying to help us not gamble? What are they doing? And I said, I remember there were long lines, and I don't know how to explain this, except you guys know me. I acted like I was homeless since I did homeless ministry, and then went to the first open kiosk. Come on, you got to enjoy me. <laughs> and I met Michelle with an S. Look at me. I met Michelle with an S. I said, Michelle with an S, I never told anybody I'm a pastor because I want people to like me. She started laughing. I said, look, my flight got canceled for a good friend. I got to get to the wedding tomorrow. How in the world did this get canceled? She did her little dee-dee-dee. She goes, now, it's not great, pastor, but I'm going to get you to that wedding. You're going to get in at midnight tonight. I'm going to put you on a flight to Kansas City. You're going to go to Oakland and sit for eight hours. You're coming back to Vegas, and you're going to go into Tahoe. Now, let me tell you something. <laughs> and I said, Michelle with an S. I, I want to thank you, and I love Southwest. I did. I knew she was helping me. She goes, now, when you get to Kansas City and you get off that plane, you go to the first kiosk with no line and just ask if there's anything better that's happening. I got off the plane and went to a kiosk, and I met Quentin with a Q, people. Quentin with a Q. I told him I was a pastor. I told him what happened. I was trying to get to a wedding. I told him Michelle with an S has tried to help me. She wanted to know if anything better was happening. He went, yee, dee, dee. He looked up at me and he said, I got bad news for you. She did not book that flight to Oakland and it's gone. I said, how much trouble on you? You're in a lot of trouble. I, he said, you stand here for 10 minutes. I stood there for 12 minutes when I heard him say, he made four phone calls. So I can give away two $750 tickets to get this pastor to that wedding. He hung up and he said, Robin, how much do you love me? Come on. <laughs> I go, I love you a lot, Quentin. I said, Quentin, look at me. God used you to help me. That's why I said, to help me today, I want to thank you. He looked me, level gaze in my eyes and said, don't thank me. You ready for this? You ready? 
I do what I do. What are the odds? And I said, Quentin, you got time for two stories? And I told him how much I love Daniel Porter and I told him about what you said to me. And the next time I looked up, Quentin had tears coming down his face. I go, Quentin, what's going on? He goes, from the moment you walked up and told me you were a pastor, I knew I had to get right with God today. And you know what I said, don't you? You know what I do. Come on. <laughs> and I said, Quentin, is this your moment? I said, I asked this for 17 years at Mountain Park. Is this your moment? And he gave his life to Christ. Come on, give it up for God. Give it up. Now, I'm going to close. I'm going to close. Thank you for saying. But I didn't tell the first services, but I'm going to tell you. Four weeks ago, I'm flying out of Indianapolis, and I went in to get a pre-board pass because I've had knee surgery in that kind of weak and lame. And guess who I saw again? Michelle with an S. And I said, Michelle with an S, I got to tell you this story. And I told her about Quentin's conversion. She said, I didn't have time that day, but I'm a Christian. And we were celebrating. And a woman behind me put her hand on my shoulder and pushed me aside and said, I was at Union Chapel when he told about Michelle with an S and I gave my life to Christ. Come on, people. What are the odds? Now, I'm going to ask you one thing. I want everybody here to bow your head and close your eyes. I didn't do this first, sir. Everybody here, bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to tell Jesus you will do whatever he asks you to do in missions for this church. If Alan calls you and says, I need you, I want you to say yes to whatever God asks you to do. And all I'm going to ask you today, and Alan's making his way up right now, I just want you to slip your hand. If you say, I feel God's presence right now, I will do whatever Jesus asked me to do, would you raise your hand? All over this place. Look, Alan, I want you to look over. Whatever Jesus asks you to do, this is going to be a remarkable story in this new facility, all for the glory of God. Lord Jesus, thank you for every decision that's being made. Would you use Alan now as he just opens our heart to brokenness? In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Bless you, man. Love you, man. Okay, go ahead and set your timer for maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> but uh, feel free to set a timer so that we can keep this thing moving. But uh, I'm, I'm going to start off by saying something that, that's probably going to surprise a lot of you. Robin and I are different. Okay, I'll just kind of get it out there. Okay, get it. Robin and I are very different. In fact, some might say that we're, we're, uh, we're kind of opposites in some different ways. And, uh, and if you took, if you made a list of all the things that I'm not great at as a pastor, and I know some of you have made that list. I know, so you don't need to send it to me, but I know you've made that list. But if you made that list, Robin excels at every one of those pieces. Okay, I'm just, that's just kind of what we learn from one another and we all have different gifts that we bring to the table. But one of the things that I'm very confident in, in uh, Robin's 17 years flowing into my 12 years, one of the things that has remained consistent throughout uh, MPC's early times and now MPC's times and, and what's going into our future is embracing the power 
of brokenness, the power and the significance of brokenness, that brokenness is not optional for those of us on the spiritual journey. It's not, it's not that, oh, that's just something for those some people over there. Brokenness is essential. It is the pathway to experiencing the grace of God. It is the pathway towards healing, towards wholeness, towards freedom that we so desperately long for. There's a phrase that you can find twice in the Old Testament, spoken by two different prophets in two different settings at two different times. And it's complete, they're not quoting one another. Completely different settings with all different words all around them. But these five words are identical from the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Hosea. These prophets in two different settings, they say, break up your unplowed ground. Break up your unplowed ground. I love that phrase because unplowed ground doesn't grow anything. Unplowed ground doesn't grow anything. I want to read uh, to you from Jeremiah's version of saying these five words. It's in Jeremiah chapter 4 if you want to go there with me. But Jeremiah chapter 4 beginning in verse 3 says, This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground. And do not sow among thorns. See, what, what you're not going to find in unplowed ground are peaches and apples and strawberries and avocados. You're not going to find fruit in unplowed ground. What you're going to find in that ground that is on the side of the road, that ground that is unplowed, you're going to find weeds and you're going to find thorns. And what that means is that when we live out our lives... Uh, jam-packed where we are unwilling to have plowed ground be our life journey. When we walk out our lives in that way, when we refuse to talk about what's really going on, when we do not take opportunity to share with others what, is, what, uh, what your mistakes are, what your secrets are, what your struggles are. When your ground remains jam-packed and, uh, and you don't allow access, when that ground is not softened up, you will not grow fruit. So the reality is all those stories that Robin has shared, the stories throughout the 30 years of the life of this church, they happen because ground gets plowed up. Hearts get softened so that people then get a chance to see outside of themselves and live generous lives and participate generously in the kingdom of God. Jeremiah continues, verse 4, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of of Jerusalem. So a circumcised heart is one where the hard, calloused outer shell is broken off. That, that's the metaphor that he's talking about there. And what happens is when that outer calloused hard shell is broken off, it's painful. It can be embarrassing. It could be the last thing you want to say. The last thing you want to do is deal with your brokenness. It can be so painful, but when that outer shell is removed, you're left with a soft, sensitive, tender heart, which is where God wants you to be. And it is that place that God longs for you in terms of finding meaning in your life, etc. It's, it's breaking away to that soft, tender heart. And when you go to the unplowed ground metaphor, 
that it is, is plowing that ground. You, you take the whatever tool, dig it into the, into the unplowed ground and you scrape it through. It's painful. It's no fun. It's painful. That's why we avoid it. So we want to stay with our, with our plowed ground. You take that and you, and you plow it through and you stir it up and then you experience growth. Brokenness is not optional in the spiritual journey. Brokenness is the pathway towards wholeness, towards healing, towards freedom. It is the pathway. And as I look back on 30 years and what I've learned from the time before I was here and as I look at this journey of how so many hundreds, literally thousands of people whose hearts have been softened through the ministry of Mountain Park, as I look back on that incredible journey, the greatest things that happen around here, they happen through this process of brokenness. The greatest things that happen. Right now, the, 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 it's men and women who gather in groups. And they don't just gather and, and talk about uh, all their pontification about uh, Scripture. But they come in and they talk about what's really going on in groups and in conversations and drives on mission trips, etc. It's real conversations about real life. Yes, there's a place for Bible studies that talk about the Greek translation of certain New Testament words. There are places for those kinds of things. Absolutely, it's an important part to dig in and learn, etc. Absolutely. But the real life change happens through the beauty and the power and the difficulty of brokenness. One of the greatest things that is happening right now in our church here is this marriage ministry called Reengage, and we've been doing it for a few years. My wife and I have been aware of it, and, and but we have just started to participate in it this year. And let me just tell you firsthand that people in this Reengage group they don't sit around in groups over the 16-week period. They don't sit around and say. Well, you know, how is your marriage going? My marriage is going great. How's yours? Oh, my marriage is going great too. And then, oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, we did have that argument this week, but we worked it out, didn't we, schnookums? Yes, we did. Let me just tell you, that's not what's happening in the re-engaged group. We have couples that are separated, sitting next to each other, not touching one another, sitting next to each other in the re-engaged group going, okay, maybe there's something God can plow in our lives and, and, and make something happen. There are couples who are divorced and saying, you know what, we still have children that we're connected with. Maybe there's some way that something could be revitalized. We have couples who, when they get in and they start the class, they would rate their marriage at a one out of 10. Better yet, we have couples who would start the class rating their marriage as an eight out of 10. And then by week eight, realize with more honesty, no, it's probably closer to a three or a four. And we have couples bringing in that kind of, of honesty and, and authenticity. And as a result, we're seeing growth. We're seeing beautiful change because people are just realizing, why are we wasting our time with, with plastic Christian stuff, with this veneer of perfection that we put over top of us? Why would we waste any of our time with that as we interact with one another, as we do our marriage, etc.? Why are we wasting time on this? So we are shooting straight on issues of pornography, shooting straight on issues of, of anger and of substance abuse and verbal abuse in ways that are dysfunctional in marriage is to say, let's not be plastic with one another. Let's get after that because plastic Christian stuff is not helpful for anybody. And it's not what Jesus intended. Plastic Christian stuff is not helpful for you. It's not helpful for me. And it is absolutely not helpful for those who are looking in, the distracted and disinterested who don't yet know that they need Jesus that they're looking in and watching us and watching our move to this new church, etc. They are not going to be moved or transformed by plastic Christian stuff. 
And you know what else about plastic Christian stuff? It's not even true. It's not even true. It's just fake. It is unplowed ground. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about raw, that the booklet you have, it has this title of raw. And so we've, been, we've just been talking about the fact that, you know, with everything stripped away, who are we? What is this whole church thing all about as we make this transition? Who are we at our core? And we started in week one just saying, you know, it is all about Jesus. Let us not drift from that in any way. It is about us being the hands and feet of Jesus. It is about us being real with one another, getting over this plastic Christian stuff, being real with one another, and God uses us in powerful ways. And so my hope as we make this transition, as we transition from this beautiful building to a new beautiful building, is that we would take all of that raw stuff with us. We would take all of this stuff that has built the history of this church over 30 years, that has allowed us to go deep into the into the. To the perhaps embarrassing places of life and dig into that and say, I truly want to be changed. I truly want to be changed. We would take this raw, beautiful, essential stuff. We would take it with us and we would not become something different that drifts from the power of the Holy Spirit in our new place. That we would take that with us. And I I, I want to help us with that. I want to give us a little symbol of that here today. And uh, actually haven't checked this outside to see if we can even do this, but I'm going to tell you and then I'll apologize if we can't do this out there. But, uh, but uh, what I want to do is I want to give you a souvenir and don't get excited because it's not, it has no value. It has no monetary value. But, but what, what we did is um, in the broken sidewalk on the entrance on, on the way in, and many of you know about it, that the, on the east side of the pathway coming in, um, the right side coming in is, is all jagged and broken up and it has been since the beginning of this building. And the whole idea is that we all come in here broken that if you uh, come into this church or any church thinking that you're perfect, then um, uh, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> you're, just, you're just wrong. That each and every one of us, it is our brokenness that is the pathway to experiencing God's grace. And so what we've done is we've broken up that, that, uh, that um, walkway, the broken sidewalk. We've broken it up even more. And the souvenir we want to give you is that you would take a piece of that concrete with you. The reason I need to double check is I don't know if we have any left from the first service, but, but just, we'll just get hammers and start bashing the thing if we have to. Or you can come back or whatever. To, 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 if you would like to get a little piece and put it on your desk as a reminder, or get a big chunk and put it in your backyard. It'll look beautiful back there. And you won't have to water it. It'll look great. You just, you just take it. Let it be a reminder to you of the power of brokenness. Let it be a reminder to break up unplowed ground in your life. Break up unplowed ground in your life. The reason we're talking about this here today on this final Sunday here in this place is that this has been a consistent part of the journey throughout the whole story. Is that may we continue to be a church that is not about plastic Christian stuff. May we continue to be a church that is really going after change and with changed hearts come a desire to make a difference here in the city and make a difference around the world. And we want to continue to be that. It is brokenness that allows us to experience the amazing grace of God. And it is that amazing grace that gives us the freedom that we so long for and so desire. So here's what we're going to do as we uh, close up here today. Uh, 
I'm, I'm going to pray with you. One final prayer here in this room. We're going to do a couple songs here at the end. And I know when it's song time, it's go time for some of you. No, not today. Not today. Let's just stay in the room for our final moment here, final service here in this. Let's enjoy this moment together. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you, and then we'll sing a song together. Bow your heads with me if you would. God, I'm so thankful that Robin is here and, and for his, his words connecting with our history as a church and for the inspiration that we all feel here in this room. God, God, I, I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to realize my role in your kingdom, in your story, God. And we do that by listening to you, by, by having uh, circumcised hearts that are tender and raw and ready for whatever you have for us. So God, we thank you for the grace that you've poured out on every one of us here, everyone who, is, who, who has worked here, who has served here, who has uh, participated here. Uh, in any way, God, you have poured out grace on us. We are thankful for that. We celebrate that, and we want that grace to pour out in an amazing way as we make the change to this new facility that you've provided, God. We celebrate in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.